This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Thank you to everyone that has tuned in thus far. The hustle and grind continues as we're now into season two of 52 Weeks of Hustle. I've had such a great time sitting down with industry leaders. Thank you to the leaders and for all the listeners and your continued support. In addition, thank you for everyone that has supported the book, Hustle Your Way to Success in Sports Sales, a playbook to being elite in the sports business industry. It's available on Amazon in ebook, paperback, and audio versions. Be sure to check out 52weeksofhustle.com. Enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle. I'm Travis Apple, and I'll be your host of this podcast. I've been fortunate to spend my entire career in the sports sales industry, and I wanted the opportunity to give back, to give back to those individuals that want to get in this business, and for those individuals that are in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name. Each week, I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down with industry professionals to talk about their career path what it takes to be successful, and ultimately a few key takeaways for you to apply to your everyday. Without further ado, our guest this week. Many people grow up with the dream of making it to the big leagues. Our next guest grew up with an indoor baseball facility, played D1 baseball, and even had some letters from Major League Baseball teams before an injury changed his career path. That didn't stop our next guest from still living his dream and owning a minor league franchise. I'm excited to have Jesse Cole, owner of the Savannah Bananas. Jesse, welcome to the show. My man, Travis, you went way back with that intro, man, going back to my days playing ball, man. I appreciate that. I got to relive my uh, glory days back then, so thank you. Absolutely. I think all of us had those glory days, and you know, I'm really <laughs> looking forward to, to diving into your fun career journey. And I, you know, I think the best place to start is how I introed right from the beginning, you grew up just south of Boston, Massachusetts. At an early age, your father purchased an indoor baseball facility that had turf fields, batting cages, AAU teams that competed there. So how was it growing up around baseball all the time? <laughs> well, especially I was an only child. Uh, that was the one thing, you know, me and my dad had a huge bond. You know, we just started playing. And I, you know, I remember as a kid, even when I was five years old, my dad used to say, Jesse, you know, swing hard in case you hit it. Swing hard in case you hit it. And as a five-year-old, I was swinging harder than probably any five-year-old in the country. And oh, I can I, imagine. And I learned that I swung and missed a lot. But when I made contact, it, it worked out pretty well. And he saw that I loved it. It was the one thing I knew I could make my dad proud. So it's like, let's go to the field. Let's go to the field. Let's go to the field. So when I was yeah, 11 years old, my dad bought the South Shore Baseball Club. He became a part owner of that. And I got to literally live at the uh, a baseball facility up in Massachusetts. So I was taking swings every day and just around the game. And back then, Travis, you know, it's interesting to think back on it's when the game was fun, you know, as a kid, you know, playing, it was just fun. You know, I just wanted to show up. I wanted to pitch. I wanted to hit. I wanted to field ground balls. There was no, you know, competition, you know, trying to play because of a scholarship or playing for money. It was just fun. And, uh, you know, I think about those days a lot now as I try to create that with our Savannah Bananas team. So it was a great journey back then and uh, learned a lot from uh, the Southshire Baseball Club, who literally just made the baseball fun. We had constant games, constant uh, Survivor Series competitions where teams would be pl- survive against each other. I mean, it was it was awesome. And it was just yeah. fun baseball. And that's what the game's supposed to be about. 
And Jesse, personally, I know growing up, my dad was also a baseball coach and athletic director. So it was a bit difficult times to, to really do anything but play and be around sports. So was it instilled early on in you that you knew you were just going to do something in sports as a career? <laughs> yeah, it was funny. I think when I got into uh, uh, my high school advisor asked me, you know, what do you want to study in college? And I said, baseball. And they go, what do you mean? I go, no, I'm going to play baseball. Like, that's what I'm here to do. Yep. Yep. And, uh, you know, yeah, that that was it. You know, it was it was the one thing that I did. And my dad told me, Jesse, you got to make sure you get good grades, too, you know, so you can get a full scholarship. He goes, I'm not paying for college. He said it as kind of a joke, but it <laughs> encouraged me to make sure I got a full scholarship. You made sure you did it, yeah. Yeah, so I worked on it. But, yeah, yeah, obviously instilled this, uh, this idea like, hey, you know, focus on something. I played some other sports, but baseball, I just spent so many hours doing it. And it wasn't a chore. I loved practice. And I think of that as a lesson that, you know, we love when we get accolades. We love the recognition. But do you love playing when no one's watching? Right. And that's just in business in general. You know, we love, like, you know, I'm an author now. I'm writing my second book. And it's like, can you actually enjoy the process of writing and sharing without just, oh, it's a bestseller or did all this? And right. that's, that's the real game. That's the long game. And that's what it was for me all the way playing as a kid. It's like I just wanted to go take swings. I wanted to pitch. I wanted to keep getting better. And you, you think about the, the the most successful and the elite people in the business of sport are the people that they're taking scripts home. They're taking product knowledge home. They're studying it. And nobody's watching. Nobody knows that they're doing it, but they're just going to be so much better every day. And, you know, Jesse, as you mentioned, while you're in high school, you're receiving college offers kind of from all over. You decide to go south, uh, you know, again, grow up Boston, a little colder weather, get to that warmer weather in Spartanburg, South Carolina. You're a pitcher. You started 42 games before tearing your shoulder. You even had, you know, one of the most famous, Dr. James Andrews, take a look at it. The tears were just too severe. So I guess walk the listeners back through that time, which may have been one of your, your early times of somewhat rejection and figuring out, all right, no you know, a baseball analogy, a curveball has been thrown at me. How did you then switch gears to that business side? Yeah. Well, I want to stop for one second. You know, we were just talking about doing all the work when no one's watching. You know, the people listening don't know that, you know, we had a conversation, you did all this research, you started looking at everything that we, that, you know, questions that no one else is asking. You put a ton of time into this to ask more deep questions, which no one sees that. Like, I never get asked these questions back in my past because no one does the research and finds it. It's not easy to find. So I just want to touch on that. Well, I appreciate uh, that. All right. Next, you talk about how did I deal with that curveball? Um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, I was actually filming a capstone project. Um, I, I graduated with my own leadership major. I should develop my own major. So going against breaking the rules, I developed my own major at Wofford College. And yes, I chose Wofford over Boston College, Northeastern, a lot of North, Northern schools because I want to go down South. And I went down there and that was my goal. I mean, I was play professional baseball. I was getting letters from the Mets and the Pirates and the Padres. And that was it. My dad was like, this is what we're going to do. I knew I was going to be a late round pick. It wasn't going to be early, but I was like, I'm going to prove I can do it. At least this do it. This is my life. Yep. This is my life. I'm going to do it. And then probably get into coaching. And, uh, you know, I got an opportunity to potentially coach. I coached in the Cape Cod League. And then I got an opportunity to be another uh, assistant coach where, and it just, I, it didn't excite me. I sat in the dugout and I watched the game. And as you know, and athletes, there's a difference between playing and watching. And I just realized this wasn't it. So, you know, I, I got the injury and it just tore my tore me up in more ways than one because I didn't know yeah, what I was, was going to do. Physically yeah. and emotionally. Physically and emotionally. I had no idea what I was going to do because it's like, I guess I'll go into coaching. And then so I tried that for a little bit. I went and coached that summer and it just wasn't for me. Yep. And then, you know, I think a lot of times you have to just take chances and try things. And I got an email about an internship and uh, on doing the front office. And I realized that I that's actually would be playing for me. It wouldn't just be sitting and watching other guys. If I could play and, like, run my own team, create right. my own thing, that was my new way of playing, and that's what I found. 
that's where your new passion was. And, you know, through this podcast, we're going to talk a lot about innovation, um, you know, and, and that's certainly how you've built a brand and a name for yourself. But you, you mentioned while in school, you really kind of developed your own major in humanities and leadership. And, you know, to that point, you receive an unpaid internship to sell sponsorship for the team in Spartanburg. And, you know, again, with most internships and jobs, you're typically given a pretty thorough onboarding and training but certainly not with this experience. And so how did you immediately have, you know, start having success selling and, and realize that, hey, this is something I could be pretty good at? <laughs> yeah, it's all, you know, it's once you start trying, once you start doing, you start learning. And so, yeah, that first day, Spartanburg Stingers, the team no longer exists. Uh, I showed up and, you know, people say it as a joke. Oh, my sales job, they just give me a phone book. I was literally given a phone book. Like literally the sales guy came in, dropped a phone book and said, start calling. And I said, who am I calling? He go, there's the phone book. And I go, what am I selling? They go, here's our price sheet. And I start looking. It's like $500 game sponsorship, $200 business card ad. I was like, okay, anything else? He's like, no, just start calling. And so I think a big thing about sports, and you, you know, obviously talk about the show being hustle. You know, athletes have a competitiveness in them. So I get this. I was like, in my mind, I was like, this is all they're telling me? All right, I'm going to find a way to actually make this work because I guarantee most people it doesn't work. It's like, right. no, I'm going to give up. They just kind of give up. 100%. So I just made it my goal, and I looked at the team. I mean, being very open and transparent, I think the team's total revenue was $100,000, and that's including all the games. So, like, sponsorship, tickets, food and bed, everything. I mean, this team was – and, like, they only sold, like, 15000 in sponsorship. I mean, it was really pennies. And I was like, well, what if I sold more than anyone? In my mind, it was weird. I was 22 years old. Right. And so I just started hitting the phone and calling everyone. And what happened was, you know, I had that first meeting. I get in front of people and I realized I'm just selling the idea of coming to a baseball game and trying to make it exciting and make it fun. And people just were like, yeah, we'd love to give it a shot. You seem like you're into it and you're passionate about it. And they bought into the enthusiasm, which that's how Walt Disney sold more than anybody. I've heard so, I mean, I read everything on Walt. Walt just sold by enthusiasm. He actually went into a boardroom selling ads for Thunder Mountain to this huge corporate uh, group. And he gave this whole pitch. And then he said, it'll be $250,000. And they said, okay, just give us a few minutes. They asked him to leave. And the group said, I think we should do it. I think we should do it. And they decided to bring him in. They said, all right, we will be the sponsor of Thunder Mountain. And Walt goes, thank you very much. And they walk out, and the, the, the board director says, what the heck did we just buy? They didn't <laughs> right? even know. They had no idea what they no, bought. No clue what they had, but they saw the passion. They saw the passion and enthusiasm. I had passion. I had the excitement, and it started selling. And because of that, in three months, I sold more than the general manager and the director of sales combined. And the owner of that team owned the Gastonia Grizzlies, and he said uh, – you know, he said, uh, we'll give you a shot to be the GM because the GM was leaving in Gastonia because it was one of the worst teams in the entire country and no one wanted to be there. So I got the job at 23 to become a GM because of those three months of hustle, as you would say. I mean, I think that just goes to show what you can do in the sports business, right? Like a lot of people have probably asked you in your career, like what's made you so successful? And, and certainly it's it's effort. It's the work ethic. It's being open to learning and just finding a name for yourself. I think that's the cool part about being in sales. It doesn't matter how old you are, how much experience you can sell. Your career path is on a, a very good trajectory. And to your point, you go on to become the youngest GM at the, the Gastonia Grizzlies, a collegiate summer baseball team. And at the time, the team was drawing 200 fans and had $268 in the bank account and no revenue for the first three months you were there. So a lot of times we talk about you have to have a passion but alongside of that in parallel paths is that motivation. How did you keep that internal motivation and drive knowing that, quite frankly, that's a hell of an uphill battle? 
Yeah, what a first day. You know, that first day I showed up and I found out the real numbers and found out like what was going on. I was like, is this real? I remember the, <laughs> the, the person that was over me, uh, the managing partner who left two weeks later, he took on another job. So it was all day. Uh, at the end of the day, he's like, hey, man, uh, you want some leftover beer from the season? I go, probably, yeah, I'll probably need that. <laughs> I'm going to need a t- uh, one or two of those. I'll probably have to see what I just got into. And uh, so he took me out back and, and I was like, wow, what did I just get myself into? And I think uh, for me, it was it was just okay, there's no other option. I, I Literally, my family's up in Massachusetts. I'm the GM of this team, and I put my face on this team. I'm the GM. You know, if I'm going to represent, and I actually found an article, uh, there was an article in the uh, magazine back in November of 2007, so I was the GM just for a few months, and it said, my goal is to meet with every single person in the entire community and share the passion and love that we're going to create for this team. And, like, that was it. Like, I had one single goal. It was to that meet was everybody. And so I remember my pitch today. This is this was it. Hey, this is Jesse Cole. I'm the new general manager of the Gastonia Grizzlies. I would love to come by and introduce myself and just meet you. And that, that was it. That, that was, was it. it. So when someone said no, I was like, Oh, I'm just, I'm new to the community. I'm really trying to get the community. You just don't want to meet me. Yeah, and I'm just trying really, to immerse myself here. That was it. And there was no sales pitch. And actually, like a lot of the meetings, I didn't even present any, any, any sales material. I, I waited to get them to say, well, what are you guys actually doing? And then I, I learned that because I was like, I'm not going to be this guy that comes and selling. I'm just going to come in and meet every single person. And what happened is that was the best education I could have ever got because I went in every door and I just started to get to know what you know, how to read people, how to talk to people, how to interact, you know, what works well. I learned every situation. No, you got to learn to talk to the decision maker or not the decision maker. How do you treat the receptionist? How do you make sure she's cared for? How do you get in? And it was just an unbelievable education. Now I don't even do that sales, but I learned the people communication. And it was just, how, how are we willing to do that when there's no huge, huge benefit? I was getting paid $27,000 as a general manager. Yeah. That was it. Right. You know? So, I mean, just like, I think you got to be able to have the patience to learn and as you treat each day, you know, how much more can you learn every day? And I was like, if I'm having seven meetings, I'm going to learn more than having five meetings. If I'm going to have 10 meetings, I'm going to learn more. And how can, how can I get more meetings in a given day? That was my goal. It's certainly a numbers game. And I think that just goes to show one, the power of relationships and two, like enjoying the journey, right? This business is a marathon, not a sprint. Yes, you're making 27 grand, but you knew you put the time and effort into it now, which is a lot of entry-level sales roles, right? You're making eight to 12 bucks an hour, a lot of times no benefits. You got to put the time and effort into it and it'll pay off. And you know, certainly for you, you end up serving as the GM for the team for six years until ultimately purchasing the team in 2014. Throughout your time there, you were named executive of the year in the Coastal Plain League, named uh, Gaston's Gazette's person of the year, the organization of the year, won best promotion in the country several times, and broke the attendance record each and every year. Ultimately, you helped the team get to fourth in the country. And again, going back to those listeners just five minutes ago, you know, that revenue was $268, grew that revenue to $1.8 million in revenue. So, Jesse, what did you and your team do to grow so quickly and have so much success? <laughs> I asked the question, you know, again, I said, all right, what frustrates people about going to a baseball game and how do we be the exact opposite? So when I learned in all those meetings, I'd go in and an HR director or the president or the owner would say, ah, our company, we just, our people, we don't like baseball. I don't like baseball. So what I learned to say, perfect, you'll love our shows. And it was that change of language, which, again, I learned from Disney. Language matters. So I started reading everything on Disney. Language matters. If people don't like baseball, they don't like a game, then we're never, not, like, no longer going to play a game. And I asked the question always, what business are you in? What business are you really in? And the reality is most baseball sports teams, I mean, you've been a part of the business. Oh, yeah, we're in the entertainment business. Really? Let's talk about that. 
Everyone says it, and I'm, I'm not going to try to get fired up here, but I'm going to get fired up. Yeah, everyone, oh, yeah. Everyone Show the passion. It. Everyone says it, Travis, but what do they do after a game? They talk about the score of the game. They talk about the win. They show about the, they show the scores. They talk about how the team's doing. They show the standings. They talk about the games, the games, the games. They don't talk about the show, the fans. And some do. Some do. I'm not telling you what. Yep. So I learned this. I said, I can't control the team's going to play. Right. Can't do it. But all we can control is the exact experience. So what are we going to do is we're going to talk about all the crazy, unique things that we're doing, and then that will get people attracted to the games. So, yes, our players doing dances. And I'll never forget the first time I brought a dance instructor. This was the first practice, our first season. I said, we got to tell people something that we're not a baseball team. Oh, sure, you're not. You're playing baseball. No, we're entertainment. Oh, sure, you are. Everyone says that. <laughs> right. so our players actually do choreographed dances. W- what do you mean? And I said that, and I had no idea how we were going to do it. I just <laughs> thought in my mind, I was like, if they dance every game, that at least something different. And right. again, it's everyone tries to be a little bit better. What makes you different? What are you the only one doing? And if every sports team asked that question every day, they wouldn't have to worry about marketing and selling ever again. And in future forward, now after struggling in Savannah and all that, we don't, we don't have salespeople. There's no sales in any positions. We have experience coordinators because people buy, they're not sold. We have a wait list of over 5,000 people to buy tickets with the bananas because we're not selling them. So and people cool. love to buy. They hate to be sold to. You've got that right. You've got that right. So, yeah. So what we, we just literally started thinking, all right, the players dance. So we brought a dance instructor in. They taught him how to dance. It was terrible. The players could not dance. A lot of people said they're never going to do it. But after the first night, the fans started getting into it, watching the guys doing the jump on and dance. By the third night, I was walking through the grandstand, and a woman's talking to her husband. And she goes, shut up, honey. They're about to dance. And I was like, all right, we got something right now. And immediately I said, that's something. I said, what else can we do? And I started to keep asking that question. Can we have flatulence fun night? Can we have salute underwear night? Can we play a game at midnight? Can we be, you know, can we bury a trip to China, which was ridiculous. We had <laughs> a dig to China night. We had hundreds of people on the field and the woman found a certificate and she looked at it. She's like, yay. And she looked at it. It was just a one-way flight to China. We were getting her there, but we weren't getting her any accommodations, and we weren't getting her back. She was kind of upset that so we, ended up getting, we ended up getting our cruise, but it created a great story. Right. It was all about the story. 100%. So, so yeah. again, what are people – why are people talking about you? I remember the biggest buzz we got is when we uh, decided to do full tuxedo uniforms. And so we actually had our players in Gastonia doing full tuxedo uniforms. It was – the guys were like, what, are we really wearing – they had collars. It, it was like a tuxedo jersey. And uh, – they had, we had the, the TVs on the bus, and they were going in, and all of a sudden on ESPN, they said, is this the best-dressed team in sports? And they're like, we like the jerseys now. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure you do now that you're on ESPN. Yes. Now you're so, on ESPN. Yeah, so we just started saying, let's have fun. Let's create attention. Let's do things differently. And what happened is the crowd wanted to say, come to the ballpark. You never know what's going to happen next. You have no idea what's going to happen. Well, to that point, you never know what's going to happen next. While you were there, you ultimately proposed to your now wife in front of the entire crowd. So walk the listeners through that. Jeez. Well, luckily, I, I knew that was about to happen. Just thank, thankfully, she said yes. Uh, <laughs> that yeah, could luckily. have been a story either way, right? Yeah. So after our first season in Gastonia, we're hosting a, uh, a summer ball conference. So different minor league teams, collegiate summer teams are coming. And I'm talking about our grandma beauty pageants and the ridiculous stuff we're doing. And Emily just started a job working for Ripken Baseball. Uh, which is uh, the Augusta Green Jackets. And so she was making $19,000 a year. So that's how she started. And so the, her boss heard me speak, ran out of the conference, called Emily and said, I met the guy you're going to marry. And we hadn't even met. We had no idea who we were. And she's like, <laughs> I just, same passion, same enthusiasm, just yep. all about the, doing fun things for fans. And so 
Emily was like, um, Amy, I don't think, uh, you know, uh, thanks. But she's like, well, just just reach out to him professionally. Talk to him about, like, the grandma beauty right. pageant. So she kept in touch, and, and we reached out, and uh, we started talking. And then, ironically, a few years later, we met again at the minor league promo seminar and spent the whole weekend together and just couldn't stop talking about what we wanted to do in this business and the ideas and the craziness and the fun. And she's like, I, I got to be a part of this. So uh, she joined our team, and I let her uh, come up with a title. She wanted to be director of fun. So to give you an idea, a girl in the business who doesn't necessarily care about what, what she looks or what she – she wore a hot dog costume every game. Like, that was her. She could care less. She just wanted to be fun. I was like, this this is the girl for me. <laughs> that, yeah, so, exactly. And so, yeah, so long story short, at the end of uh, – uh, after our first or second season, second or third season working together, 2014, I stopped the game in the middle of the game, sold out crowd in Gastonia, sixth inning, brought the whole staff out, thanked everyone. And I'm going through thanking, you know, all of our staff. And I said, last but not least, our director of fun, Emily McDonald, and everyone cheers. And then I walk in front, and Emily told me later, she's like, what is he doing? I said, <laughs> not many people know this, but Emily and I met for the first time right here on this field. And in front of our family and, and uh, her family and my family and our entire baseball family, our whole families came in. Uh, and I got to a knee. I said, Emily, would you, you know, make me the luckiest guy in the world? Would you marry me? And I had a ring inside the baseball. I actually had a baseball opened up with a ring inside. Uh, I dropped awesome. down. And, uh, you have like, to do that at that point. Yeah. She was shocked. And so the, the players and the umpires are off in the field like, what is going on? Like, I'm taking a lot of time here. And yeah. then finally she runs over, and as she uh, hugs, and I don't think she said yes. I, I was taking it as an acceptance. So, <laughs> right. so yeah. It, assume had, the sale. Assume the sale. Yeah, we're in. We're in. We're good. This, yeah. I, we put off a fireworks show in the middle of the game, which went on for like five minutes. And so the umpires and the players are like, what the heck is that? Like, this is our moment. Like, this is ours. And <laughs> yeah. the players are like, yay! And we walk off the field, and she's like, what just happened? And, and uh and I was like, yeah, it was really special. And, and so that night, she couldn't sleep. She was just so excited. We played our game. And she planned a trip to Savannah while we were sleeping the next weekend. She's like, I want to do something for you. You bought this amazing ring. We're getting married. Yeah. And so she planned a trip to Savannah. And then the next weekend was our first trip ever to Savannah. And that changed everything. I was going to say, it leads right into the next point. You, you and your wife take the trip to, to Savannah, Georgia. You go to the ballpark had less than 100 fans in attendance, which is obviously a common theme for you of going in and finding these places that need help. And yeah. I guess prior to asking you this next question, I went on and watched the 20-minute documentary on YouTube, and I would highly recommend all listeners to watch this as well. But in short, after the game, uh, what happened, and, and how did you become the owner of that team in Savannah? When I was at that game and there's no one there, well, first I walk in, and you know, again, everything's perspective everything's perspective. And I just want to say that, like, we had a, t a stadium in Gastonia, which isn't a stadium. It's just a little old ballpark. It's not even used by teams. That team's no longer it, – it was just a little old ballpark. And for us, it was really nice. We, we loved it. And then I walk into this majestic Grayson Stadium, big brick columns, 1926 ballpark. FDR gave a presidential address there. Babe Ruth played there, Hank Aaron. I'm walking in, and I'm like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And I was, like, blown away. And now the former team, the minor league team, they told the city that if they don't build them a brand new $40 million stadium, they're leaving. They said the stadium that is crap, it's old, fans don't want to come to it, it can't work. Our perspective, I was so fortunate that our perspective was like we're coming from something lower level. And we came in, we watched it, it was like, so I called the owner, the commissioner of the league, of the Coastal Plain League, and I said, if this team leaves for any reason, I go, we're calling this market. I go, just dibs. I think I, I called them and I said, text them. I, I'm serious. And we, hold, we heard them like two months later that the team was leaving and they weren't successful. So immediately, you know, again, you, you talk about sales earlier. It wasn't about sales. I just had so much excitement and passion. I immediately called the city and I said, hey, you know, we have a successful team here in Gastonia. I'd love for you to see what we're doing. And then see if it's an opportunity. Again, give them an opportunity to buy and feel like they have ownership. And as opposed to me, we want to come, we want to come, we want to come. 
And so he came to Gastonia, the director of leisure services, Joe Shearhouse, and he, he saw the circus, 4,000 people, and he was like, this is different. I don't know if this is going to work in Savannah. I don't know. I'm probably, this may not work, but it's an interesting option. And he convinced the city, and so many of the council members said, no, we want professional baseball. We want minor league baseball. And he convinced the city. So we had one champion. He's like, give these guys a shot. And then we completely let them down over the first six months when we sold only two tickets. And so it, it was a wild, wild journey. And he said in the documentary that it might have been one of the best things that he's ever been a part of in 30, 40 years in, in Savannah. But it didn't start like that. It was very, very tough. So we had to convince. We went from the $1.8 million you mentioned earlier. We did gross. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Into a million dollar franchise, but the 1.8 million was actually the debt that we went into, Emily and I, from buying Gastonia and then buying Savannah and putting money into Savannah. So we went from zero debt to $1.8 million in debt pretty quickly and had to sell our house. So it wasn't the, the best way to get married. We got married. We got the keys on October 5th, uh, 2015, the keys to Savannah. We showed up with the keys, opened the doors, everything was taken out, the phone lines were cut, the internet lines were cut. You heard the story. Yep. And then five days later, Emily and I got married at our old stadium in Gastonia. So we got married, and then within a, two months, we'd only sold two tickets, and then a few months later, we realized we were completely broke, got a call that we overdrafted our account, and had no money. So that's how our marriage started, and how the Savannah Banana started. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Again, we're here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today, Jesse Cole, owner of the Savannah Bananas. And Jesse, as you go on to, to pay the franchise fee, to your point, $1.8 million in debt. You had to sell your house, empty your savings account. You're sleeping on an air mattress. But at the end of the day, you, you found a way to be successful, and you knew you had to create something unique. So first, what is your advice for listeners on just taking risk? It starts with who you are, what you stand for, and what you believe in. I, I Don't take risks if you don't believe in what you're trying to do in the bigger vision. We take huge risks. And when it comes to the bananas and our baseball teams, because we believe in making baseball fun, we believe in a fan's first experience. So if anything that we believe in the end, it will be better, 100% go into it. You know, if you're kind of like, 
nah, you know, I really, that doesn't goes against my values. That goes against who I am. Then don't do it. That's a risk that's not worth it. Because when you take those risks, it's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be messy. It's going to suck in the beginning. It's going to be brutal. And you have to have the resilience and the persistence and the grit to be able to get through it. And if you're going into a risk and you don't believe in it, you're not going to have the grit to be able to get through it. So when we're sleeping on an airbed and down to our last dollar and we went grocery, we had a grocery shop at Walmart with only $30 a week. I remember this. It was five years ago. And, you know, the food you get for $30 a week is not real food. I mean, we got a few hot pockets, some ramen noodles, but ramen. Yep. It was all fake. And, um, we weren't upset. We weren't disappointed. We weren't sleeping. But what we would do is we'd wake up and say, you know, we're, we're going to do this. We believed that we'd have a better fan experience, that all-inclusive tickets were going to be better, where every ticket included all your burgers, hot dogs, chicken sandwiches, soda, water, popcorn. We believed the dancing players. We believed in the pet band. We believed in the banana bananas. We believed in all this. And so we just needed to be able to share that with more people and get people to see it. Remember, we were trying to sell something, not sell, but try to promote and share something that no one had ever seen before. Right. So good luck. Very different, unique to anybody's accustomed to. Hundred percent. They had to see it, so that's why we had to get the, we had to get the eyes and ears first before we got the hearts. We had to get attention, and I think you want to talk about the best way to actually hustle and kind of promote and get people to believe in you. You have to find ways to get them to notice you. You have to create noise, and that's why we named the team Savannah Bananas. That's why we came up with the Banana Bananas. That's why we named the mascot Split. All those decisions were strategic to get people to talk, even we were going to get criticized. So that was part of the whole method to the madness. And, you know, as Jesse, as you're settling into Savannah, you certainly made it very clear and as you're immersing yourself in the community that we're not in the baseball business. We're in the entertainment business. And, you know, I know a lot of times, even in your speaking engagements, you talk about it's key to create, grow, share, and hustle. And so you even get the community involved with naming the team. And, and even that launch didn't even have a ton of people in the community to support. You know, it was certainly an uphill battle. So as you continue to think about what it was going to take, you then ultimately created Fan First Entertainment, and, and I'm sure you and your wife and, and everybody else from a family and friend perspective probably stressed beyond belief. When did you finally get over the hump? <laughs> I would say when we uh, – the first – well, obviously when we named the team the Bananas, at first criticized, embarrassment, thrown out of the city, you, you're, you're, the owners, you guys will never sell a ticket. I mean, we were ripped apart. But all of a sudden, people started knowing who we were, and we had some people, and we created a conversation. And I learned this from Bill Vack, you know, whatever you can do at a ballpark, can you create a conversation? And so we created this big conversation. Do you like the team? Do you not like the team? Are they going to be successful? Are they not going to be successful? People are talking about us. That's a win. So that was the big thing. That's and then, what you need. Yeah, and then we actually went to the hospital, and we learned that the hospital used to do a big outing. And we talked to the hospital, and we said, hey, we can create something really special where every ticket includes all the food and it could be a better value for all your employees and your team members. And somehow we convinced them to buy 3,000 tickets to one game, uh, $45,000 purchase. So it's $15 a ticket, include other food. And what we announced, Bananas Game sold out. And so we immediately announced, this was like right after the name, and people were like, what? The Bananas are sold out? The former team never sold out games. What's happening? Right. And then one sellout announcement led to a few more. Then we announced the box seat selling out. Then people came to the first game. It was sold out. And the next game sold out. And then people said, you know what? There's enough people that actually like this crazy thing. And so it was all part of this luck and also design to create attention. And then the hump really, once we started, you know, it just became this unbelievable catalyst that every game started selling out. You kind of ride the wave. You start creating urgency and manufacturing demand. And, you know, to your point, the Savannah Bananas have now sold out every game since their first season, have a waiting list in, in the thousands for tickets. 
But in addition to having, you know, and you've talked a little bit about this, a breakdancing first base coach, senior citizen dancers, shortened game time, and a flurry of other activities that go into that entertainment, you also only have that one price ticket that's all-inclusive. And the other thing that's very unique, specifically as it comes to, to other, you know, smaller and minor league properties in college baseball is zero sponsorship. Why, why is that? Like, what goes into those decisions? We don't make any of those decisions. And I'm going to say that in a very interesting way. Every decision we make is based solely on fans. And a name of our company is Fans First. And him and you mentioned Fans First. So, yes, were we the one that finally made the, the decision at the end? Yes. But we looked at every – so let's give it a – let's go backwards. So uh, there's no ticket fees, no convenient fees. All right? We made a decision when we first started. Ticket return, ticket master, all those are like, oh, it's $1 per ticket. And I'm like, well, if we sell out the stadium, that's $100,000. I go, that investment, and, and they'll just put it on your fans. I'm like, no, that's not fans first. We're not throwing an extra dollar on your fans. That's not it. And then they're like, well, there's extra convenient fees you can throw. I go, that's the most inconvenient fee in the world. It's like, oh, I want to pay this convenient fee. What are you talking about convenient fees? <laughs> Get out of here with convenient fees. Let's fire up about that. So we found a upstart that we said, here's what we're looking for. We want to be able to create our own ticket pot. We want to pay you one price per year, and then there's no fees, and it's up. So it's started. It all right. Then we said, all right, fans get nickel and dime in a ballpark. That is not right. You have to come and you pay for your parking. You pay for your, your ticket. You pay for your food. You pay for At the end of the night, you're broke. That's not right. So we looked at the cruise industry. Well, they get all their food included. That's the way. That's the perfect situation. So that's like a win, win, win. You get all your food. You get all your entertainment. So we did. So we just kept going down that line. And so the last, like two years ago, we said, why is a $24 shirt? Why is a $24 shirt $31 because of shipping? That's wrong. That's not fans first. And then we said, well, geez, but we sell a lot of shirts online. That's well. I said, well, what if what if we eliminate it? If a fan was sitting here right now, what would would they maybe be more excited and share and buy an extra thing or tell more people? I go, what if? And we realized it was like, you know, I don't know, it was like twenty twenty five thousand dollars in shipping. I was like, all right, throw that all away. Will we sell more? Right. And will it be a better experience? And the answer was one hundred percent yes. So we eliminated that. And it was like, oh well, Amazon Prime does. You pay ninety nine dollars a year. We weren't doing any of that. We weren't saying right. members only get free shipping. You know, like people say, like minor league teams, are like oh, free shipping weekend. Do it all the time. People trip over these little like dollars. They trip over dollars to try to get nickels. It's so silly. They think short term over long term. And we're always trying to create long term fans over short term. So again, our fans made that decision because you know what? We're a fan. Right. If you built things for you, would you like this? Put so, your fan hat on. What's your fan at? We, I mean, during meetings, we actually always go to this, and we learned this from Bezos and, and Starbucks. We said, all right, there's an empty seat right there. There wasn't a fan. Would a fan want this decision? Instead of having meetings saying, how do we create more sales, more revenue, ask, how do we create more fans? When you ask those questions, your decisions become very easy. So we kept doing this. We said, all right, you got merchandise, no ticket fees. You got one ticket price, all your food's included. All right, we're going to make nonstop baseball fun, entertainment nonstop. We're going to create a different game, banana ball, which we just did, and try a faster game. All that we kept asking those questions. Fans are making those decisions because we're watching fans leave games early. Even though we were entertaining nonstop, they're still leaving early. The fans made the decision. They want a two-hour game. Right. They wanted it shortened. Yep, exactly. We're the one that's going to pull the trigger. So when it comes to the ads, which was the most controversial thing we've done in the sports industry because a majority of teams' revenue comes from sponsorship. Yep. We looked at it, and we said, we're a fan. If we're a fan, if we have $15,000, $30,000, would we want to spend it on a billboard and a program ad? Is that the best use of our money? What are we the best at? We are the best at giving an entertainment experience for fans. I would invest that 5,000% to take care of our team. But to spend that as an outfield billboard, as a fan, is that right? And then number two, does anyone in the world want to be advertised to right now? No one wants to be sold. No one wants to be advertised to. No one wants to be marketed to. Literally, my two-year-old son will just turn three. He was on. He was on an iPad, and all of a sudden, 
I hear him go, Daddy, I don't like ads. He's three, <laughs> he just turned three years old because he's on YouTube and he's watching ads. And he learned within a few seconds how to skip ads. He's skipping ads at three years old. Yep. Yet sports teams think because that's the way they got to bring in money. You know, you look at any type of an event, you know, it's like, oh, well, if we get our sponsors, we can host this race. If we get our sponsors. No, you, the race should be so good that it'll be supported by the people that want to go to it. Yep. You know, why does a sports team have to survive by sponsorship? So we looked at the numbers and we said, you know what? It's hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's maybe, I think it was 9% of our total revenue. If we eliminated this, could we make it up? And more fans, more merchandise, would we get creative on new things to offer fans? Would it force us to get creative? Right. It was 100%, yes. So in one year since we eliminated ads, here's what happened. And I haven't shared this with anyone. Our merchandise has doubled. It's now a seven-figure brand. Now, there's a different contingency on that, but we had people reaching out to, I'm supporting you guys and who you are what you're doing. Also, we eliminated free shipping. So right there, our merchandise has already covered everything there. And now the new things with Banana Ball, the new brand. Right now, we're fortunate we have more TikTok followers than any major league baseball team. The brand has grown so much, and the long-term win is substantial. So we yep. threw it away. I don't think any team is dumb enough to ever do that, but we did it because our fans made that decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Back to fan first and, you know, being innovative, thinking outside the box. You know, I've always been taught if you have to think, think big. And that's exactly what you've done. And, you know, now the team, again, has welcomed more than a million fans. You've been featured on MSNBC, CNN, ESPN, Entrepreneur Magazine. You know, the Bananas have been awarded Organization of the Year. You've been Entrepreneur of the Year, Business of the Year. You even won a championship. So as you look at all those accolades from your time here with the Bananas, what's been the most memorable experience for you? None of those. And uh, <laughs> I mean, I, it's I, perfect. That's a perfect. It's like a softball question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's like anything, you know, it, again, uh, Walt Disney said it, he goes, uh, money doesn't excite me. My ideas excite me. And I think, uh, you know, we look at money, sales, growth, accolades. Um, it's the moments with the fans. You know, it's it's the, the family that comes up to me the second game during COVID, our COVID season, and says, you know, the father and the mother and the three kids, and said, thank me for the game. They said, we just drove 40 hours from Utah for this game, and we're driving 40 hours back tomorrow. I go, that's absolutely crazy. And they said it was everything we could hope for. It's the season ticket holder that comes up to me at the end of the season and says, uh, we had a tear come down his face, said, you guys saved my life. And I go, what? what? Excuse me, how, what? He goes, um, well, I was in a very dark place during COVID and, you know, I had nothing to look forward to and I was really dreading everything. I I was in a really dark place. And then I found out you guys were going to play. And I came out that first night and I danced, I sang, I watched the fun and I had something to look forward to every couple of days. You guys saved my life. The last night in, in Mobile, Alabama, where we did our one city world tour and we took our show on the road. First time ever. I mean, huge moment. Brought a hundred people, our pet band, our man Anna's, our players. We said, can we take this show on the road and, and make it successful? And yes, 7,000 people showed up. It sold out. I've never seen anything like it. But it was the moment at the end of the night uh, when we thanked our fans. So the game finished, the walk off and the showdown. We got up and thank our fans. We said, guys, thank you so much. This was everything we ever hoped for. We appreciate it. So one more thing. 10, 9, 8, turn the lights off, surprise fireworks show. No, didn't tell anyone, surprise fireworks show. Then the greatest showman soundtrack. And I watch people, just players hugging other players, fans hugging, families holding their arms around each other. And I remember I, as the fireworks show finished to the greatest showman, this is the greatest show. Boom. <laughs> I actually run through the concourse and the staff said they've never seen me like this. I'm like, woo, woo. Like, like literally like I just won the World Series. You just won, yeah. It's an emotion. And then it got better. And then I'm out there at the gates, and our pep band's doing our, we always, the last impression leaves a lasting impression. And our pep band's playing their Mardi Gras songs, and our whole staff is out there, our dancing umpire, our guy in stilts, everyone's out there, and both players, and they finish. The fans stayed for an hour after the game, signing autographs, taking pictures, singing, dancing, and I'll never forget this moment. 
the, the band finished their set list. They, had, they, they went for an hour straight, exhausted. And they put their instruments down, and they start singing Stand By Me. And as they're singing, I watch players from both teams, our staff, our mascot, our Mananas, our fans, start putting their arms around each other. And they're swaying back and forth and singing Stand By Me. I actually took out my phone and started videoing it yeah. because I wanted this moment that I'll never forget. And I watched as finally they finished Stand By Me and a huge ovation from everyone. And I was like, this, wow. This is that it. was a moment. I still get chills thinking about that. That's the moments I remember yeah. where we're all together. And to your point, the memories are all about, again, fan first. And, you know, at, and at this point in time, Jesse, you know, if listeners haven't heard of you, they've probably done a quick research. Uh, you know, full transparency, that's how I early heard about you is the yellow tux. Uh, and for people that know me, I'm always suited and booted. And, and we've kind of joked about that. You know, for those listeners, we are here on Zoom and uh, we're both fully suited up, you know, in our homes. But You've, you, you've kind of taken that and continued to build on your own personal brand. And in this business, we talk a lot about what is your personal brand. And you ultimately you know, released a book, Find Your Yellow Tux, How to Be Successful by Standing Out. You've made earlier mentions you're on, on the process of, of working on book number two. So please give the listeners just a glimpse into your book. <laughs> book number two. Well, you've said it about it, fans first and really sharing. What's interesting is that we wanted to write this book. The first book was my journey. The second book is uh, the journey of our fans, our team, teammates, and our staff, and everything we've been through. And so I actually, writing this book in a true fans first way, I sent a message to all of our fans and said, hey, you guys have made this journey special. This book is for you. It's with you. We're doing this together. What should the title of the book be? And we got over 250 different title suggestions. Um, Then I said, can you share some stories? And hundreds of stories. And things from fans that I never even imagined about, you know, one night a woman said, she is, it was the day I got engaged, a young woman, she said, I, I couldn't believe it halfway through the game when your host walked up with a bouquet of flowers and delivered to me and announced that we just got engaged to the whole crowd. And she's like, I had no idea how you guys knew. And I found out later our marketing director found it on Instagram. Then we searched through the stadium. They called a flower shop, got the flower sent and <laughs> delivered it to her. And I was like, this is amazing. And, and, and these stories, these moments that matter, they just matter. Nothing matters more than making people feel like they matter. And I'm hearing all these stories, and I feel it's the job of any leader of any company and, uh, is to share and to inspire and to make people feel proud of what they're a part of. And so it's my job as the carrier of these stories and these messages to share you know, the fan stories, how we've been able to create fans, why it matters, why we should change the language and stop talking about customers or vendors or partner. You know, it needs, or, you know, it, you know, there's so many different uh, titles for what a customer is. And you probably even know leads, you know, Oh, I got some leads. Like you can right. be like, they're not even a human at that point. <laughs> fans, fans, fans. I don't care if you're in sports or if you're whatever fans, it's a special moment. When you think about what you're a fan of, I ask every company I speak with and you know, you hear Disney's and you hear Chick-fil-A's and they get they lit up. They light up. And when you see kid, people line up for three hours for a game, that's special. So, yeah, this second book, uh, are in part of the journey, and fans are part of everything, sharing the stories. They're involved in design and cover. I'm actually putting fans' names in the book. Whoever wants to be in the book, I'm going to actually put all fans' names. You better believe that's going to start the book. It's going to have pages of just fans' names because that's what it's about, and I think that's the next step in our journey, and uh, I think it's important to share. That's awesome. Certainly gone above and beyond the call of duty. And, you know, in addition, you know, it sounds like, and I'm sure the listeners are like, wow, like how does he have any time to, to have a family or do anything else? But you're also a keynote speaker, the host of Business Done Differently podcast, you know, and we talk a lot about efficiency and effectiveness. But as you go out and speak to groups, 
it's ultimately not always to sports teams or other sports businesses. Never to sports teams. <laughs> it's business entities all over the place, right? So what is that main takeaway that you always provide when talking to people of all ages and professions? Yeah, it's how to create these raving fans. It's how to go from unremarkable to unforgettable. You know, we share the journey. We were nothing. We were down to our last dollar. And now, fortunately, the wait list in the thousands and people from all over the country coming into town to see games. And I think every company has that opportunity. So I've been sharing a lot, and they'll be in the book, too, you know, the five E's to create these unbelievable experiences of raving fans and you know, how to eliminate friction from the experience, how to entertain always, how to experiment constantly, how to engage deeply, and how to empower action with your people, your fans, and yourself to make things happen. And it's been a framework that has really worked for us. And uh, it's been fun to share. You know, I've been, I've had the opportunity to speak in front of billion dollar companies and then mom and pop companies. And yep. it's, it's, it's fun because, you know, I think the greatest leaders learn from outside their industry. You know, I look right here in my office, I'm staring at a poster, a custom poster of PT Barnum and Walt Disney. I've learned more from those two than anyone else. And they never had any sports. They weren't yep. involved in sports. So I think, I think that's, where I enjoy speaking to the other companies even more so because they will actually take things from us and bring it to there. Whereas a lot of sports teams, you know, it's kind of like, eh, we can't do that. You know, that they're a little different. It's like, that's okay. So, I mean, I think there's opportunities, but um, yeah, it's been fun sharing. And I think the biggest thing, Travis, is how can we as leaders just what you're doing right now in a podcast, you know, it's the easiest opportunity now to share more than ever. Give it all away. Give everything you know. Right. You know, people book me because they want to get in person and stuff. I share everything right. all over the internet. There's I no mean, secrets. Yeah. And so, like any sports team, you can think of any sports team, whether it's a professional team, if you don't know who their leader is and what they stand for and what that company is about, and if they have stories that back that up, there's major league baseball teams, I have no idea what their real mission is. I have no idea what they're really trying to do because what we hear inside is like they're just trying to win more games or make more money. And they need to have stories. And how do you build that? And I think every company should have stories and they need to share it. The book that'll change your life is not the one you read. It's the one you write. I heard that from Daniel Priestley. Yeah. And you know, this is the person who's yeah. written a book. So yeah, like, absolutely. So start sharing, start writing. I hope I inspire someone here. It's like, you know what? I'm a leader of this company. I'm going to start sharing. I don't care what people think. I'm in a yellow tuxedo every day. People think I'm crazy. You're dressed in a full suit on a Zoom right. in your house. It's crazy. It doesn't make sense. But you know what you're doing? And Herb, right. Keller, Herb Keller said, what was his strategy for his business strategy? He was asked three years into running Southwest Airline. He said, it's called doing things. It's just called doing things. We need to start doing more and actually sharing more and you win. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Well, Jesse, this has been great. It's an awesome story. Very cool to hear about someone that has taken innovation and risk to the next level. And so to close it out, I like to put our guests on the hustle hot seat. So you ready for this? Let's do it. All right. First, the easy question. How many total yellow tuxedos do you have, and are there any other colors you'll ever wear? Uh, that's a hard no. I, I can't see myself other than except when I go to other people's weddings, I'm, I'm not allowed to wear the yellow tuxedo. Oh, you're so not I, allowed. Oh, okay. I'm forced to wear at other weddings. But yellow, uh, seven, they're not all operable now, though. I've started getting some rips. So I, <laughs> I have seven, but I need to keep getting them better. Nice. What is one activity at the ballpark that you wish every team would implement? Oh, have a, have a traditional dance uh, a, a dance that only happens at your stadium, that everyone gets excited. We started this, we, uh, from the cruise industry, actually, our director of fun back in 2018, it was Hey Baby. Hey, hey, baby. They used to do it on the cruise ship. It was the DJ Ortiz version. And it is the best moment at our stadium. Every night you ask anyone on our staff, literally the whole entire stadium, 4,000 people are standing. The players are doing it. The game stops. 
everybody's doing it. And it's a moment that uh, you feel like this is special. This is something different. And that's, uh, I love that more than anything. Now our fans actually are out of care. Our fans now did a music video. So we actually did a music video and our fans. So if you search, Hey baby music video during COVID, we asked our fans, Hey, to do it. And they sent us tons of videos and we made a Hey baby music video with our fans. That's awesome. Well, this next question, you may have already answered this a couple of times. You've talked about these, but if you could choose two people to have dinner with, who would they be? You know, I, uh, yeah, I, I've obviously talked about PT Barnum and Walt Disney. You know, I always ask, you know, I'd love to um, play catch with Walt Disney on Main Street in Disney World because he walked Disneyland, but he never got to walk Disney World. And then I'd love to ask him the one question, what's next? Yeah. That's, that's, I, instead of having dinner, I'd rather be doing something. I think when you're actually doing an activity in someone else's playground, uh, the ideas come even, you know, more strong, so. Well, to close it out, what are three key takeaways you would give every listener to be in your shoes one day? <laughs> All right. Uh, well, yeah, it goes back to what makes you different? Ask that question. What makes you different? You go to our website right now on our About Us page. We have all the things that we've learned to make different. It's better to be different than better. Be the only. Find what you can be the only, and I think that's a separator. Number two, the starting point of all innovation is how do you eliminate friction? Eliminate friction from your customers' lives, from your fans' lives. Put yourself in their shoes. Often we're in our own shoes trying to figure out what's best for us. Put yourself in their shoes and say, is that a frustration point? Is that a friction point? And then, you know, for me, it's, it's uh, constantly experiment and try new things. It's, you know, Jeff Bezos said uh, uh, our success is a direct function of how many experiments we do per year, per month, per week, per day. And so keep experimenting. So I think if you ask what makes you different, you eliminate friction and you keep experimenting. And uh, I'm going to throw a bonus because that's what I do. One more thing. And as my dad, my biggest mentor said, uh, as a five-year-old, like I said, swing hard in case you hit it. we got to keep coming to bat. we got to keep swinging. You can't be afraid of any of that. Just keep swinging. Keep trying. Don't worry about what happens. Just keep moving forward. Awesome advice. And you know, we talked a lot about throughout this entire podcast. What are you doing to differentiate yourself? And you know, put your fan hat on to truly understand what those friction points are. And you know, if you're selling, just selling ticket packages, you know, you're being that consultant. You're not the sales rep. You're assessing and, and try different things. Try things like wearing a yellow tux, wearing a, wearing a suit, you know, at your house, like try different things that are going to different yourself. And, uh, and I couldn't agree more, right? You swing hard. You never know when you'll crush a couple of them. So Jesse, thank you so much. You've certainly had a great career. Always a pleasure talking to you. And I appreciate you, you sharing your time and expertise. I appreciate you. And I'll tell you, you've just done around a masterclass on preparation, on showing up, um, being there. I think there's a huge value. And if people look behind, behind the, the right, what's right in front of you, look behind the scenes and see how you prepared for this and what you brought to the table, there's a huge, huge lesson there. So I appreciate you. This is the most researched, well-thought-out, prepared podcast I've been a part of. So thank you. Well, I really appreciate that, Jesse. And, and again, this is Travis Apple. Thank you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle. Be sure to follow the podcast. We're also on Twitter and Instagram. So follow us at 52 Weeks of Hustle. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week. When you need meal 
mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.